Welcome to the Bud Zone Podcast. I'm Bud, your host. The Bud Zone Podcast is for, from, and by saints, our buds in the faith. To edify one another in the faith and to encourage one another to love and good works. We discuss the world, we discuss the church, we discuss the faith, we discuss truth, and we do it with the mind of Christ. Thank you for joining us. Welcome to this week's episode of the Bud Zone Podcast. I want to get right to the topic for the week. On May 22nd, 2022, which was, by the way, according to the official Southern Baptist Convention calendar designated as Children's Ministry Sunday, a bombshell report was released by Guidepost Solutions addressing the issue of sexual abuse within the SBC. Those who may be current on the recent goings-on related to the SBC and its sexual abuse crisis may recall that in 2019, the Houston Chronicle released a six-part series entitled Abuse of Faith from its own investigative work. But it is this recent report from Guidepost that is yet another bombshell in the SBC, and this report was produced at the express will of the executive committee of the SBC. The EC contracted with Guidepost at a cost of, I mean, I've heard everywhere from $2 million to $7 million for them to produce and generate um, or to investigate and generate this report. To discuss the report and any other SBC matters that may come up in the course of our conversation, I am honored today to be joined by two SBC pastors who are keen about the goings-on in the SBC. I am joined by Tony Hicks, pastor of Clifton Baptist Church in Franklinton, Louisiana, and by Don Elborn, pastor of Lakeshore Baptist Church in Bay St. Louis, Mississippi. Gentlemen, thank you both for taking time to speak with me today about this. I really appreciate it. Now, in addition to being SBC pastors, you guys are also behind the unofficial Facebook page called Southern Baptists. Um, I think, Don, you are the admin. You started that page? I did. I did. Actually, uh, and, uh, Tony encouraged me to do so. Uh, we had been in several other groups before, and conversations would get cut off by the admins and uh and uh, and things, and we wanted to start something that that just allowed free speech to reign uh, from all different directions, not just one side of the aisle, and uh, sort of a free for all uh, discussion group, at least as free as as Facebook will allow us these days. Yeah, um, and that, that's kind of how we we got it started, and, and it's I think it's been going well. Excellent, kind of crazy at times, but it goes well. And Tony, you're a a, a moderator on there, so you two guys kind of run the thing. Yeah, Don started it, I think, like on a Friday night. We had talked about it, and then I saw that it had been created. And so uh, it's actually grown. You know, we started by inviting our close friends <laughs> and family members and things. And and then uh, we're up close to 3,000 now, I believe. Oh, wow. I didn't look at the numbers. That's wonderful. Well, Don, I, I, thank you for doing that, especially the whole free speech thing. In fact, if possible, maybe you two guys could get together, and instead of Elon taking over Twitter, y'all do it. I think that'd be great. <laughs> we, we would have a Christian character to it. <laughs> All right. You know, we only need about $40 billion to do that. Well, you know, 
the cattle of a thousand and one hills. Uh, <laughs> um, all right. Now today we're going to discuss this, uh, this in, independent investigation, this report from guidepost. Um, and I, and I thought, even though this is not really a debate forum, cause I, I don't know where you both stand. I presume that we're probably going to hear some different angles from each of you. And I think that's fine. Um, cause I want it to be provocative for folks that would listen, but also informative. So even though it's not a debate forum, I, I thought I'd ask you each to sort of give an opening view statement, whatever. What did you think when this came out? Of course, we already had the background with the Houston Chronicle thing from 2019. So this has been simmering last year's convention. There were motions made the EC under Ronnie Floyd contracted with guidepost to do this investigative work. But I thought I'd have you each just sort of give a, what's your, what's your opinion? What's your impression of it? And Tony, since you and I've already done a podcast together, and since we have one scheduled to come up, I'll let Don go first on giving us sure. his impression. Okay. Yeah, sure. Um, yeah. I, I know Tony and I have a slightly different opinions on, on, on some of the SBC stuff, not much, but, um, but before, before we say that, but I think we do need to say we're all against sex abuse. Absolutely. And, uh, and, and we need to do everything that we possibly can to minimize that. Um, and, and, and all the rest. I mean, I think that I almost said that goes without saying, but it doesn't need to go without saying. We need to make sure that uh, we do that. However, there's a right and a wrong way to do that. And I think that because of just the climate in the secular world uh, today, uh, many within Southern Baptist life have sort of jumped on the Me Too bandwagon and saw a way that we can sort of be liked by the world. Hey, that issue that y'all are concerned about, we're concerned about it too, which at one level, that's true. Um, but when, when you do it in certain ways, it becomes a fiasco. And that's exactly what has happened. Um, all the way back to the Houston Chronicle article. It actually goes way back before that. And I've been kind of following this issue uh, for years. There has been uh, for I didn't check the dates, but well over 10 years, uh, maybe even longer ago than that, there's been a call to have a sex abuse database that the Southern Baptist Convention needs to do more and all of the, those types of things. And the executive committee actually did look into that years ago and, and spent a lot of time. And I'll say more about this later. Maybe we talk about the, the details. They spent a lot of time looking into the feasibility of it and bottom line came up and said, said, for multiple reasons, this isn't the best way to handle it. Um, and 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 but the, those that are pushing for it never let it go. They they they've been pushing and pushing and pushing, and that's where we get this guidepost um, uh, study or report or whatever. And um, and when we read it, and, that, and just for folks hearing that, that was okay. not Tony barking at your comments. That was like his German <laughs> Shepherd or something back there. <laughs> Yeah. Is that Tony's dog? I've got, I've got a house full of dogs as well. Actually, I have a dog business, but a, a dog sitting business, but um, I don't think those are our dogs. Bark. Yeah, no, no. It's well, <laughs> we've got two dogs and they think they're watch dogs. And so if they hear something outside, they'll go to the window and then they start, one starts barking and then the other has to bark too. Sure. Of course. So I have the same problem. I'm 
Anyway, I didn't mean to interrupt you. I just wanted folks to know that was actually not Pastor Hicks that was barking at your comments. So. <laughs> no worries. So, um, I so yeah, that's, agree that's with sort of the impetus I mean, of that, that the guidepost thing is it's coming from the, what they're, and, and we'll just call them the survivor community. I think that's what they like to be called. And the survivor advocates pushing for something needs uh, to be done. They want certain things done. And, and that's where this report has, has come from. And as we read the report, to get to it exactly, it, it, sound, it reads, and you read the first page, and you can tell it's coming from someone very sympathetic to that uh, survivor community's point of view, that, uh, that uh, enough has not been done, and more needs to be done, and these particular things need to be done. And so it was very slanted in that direction. And uh, maybe I'll just leave it at that and see what Tony has to say and, and, and dig a little bit deeper in a minute. Okay. Well, I, I totally agree with Don. I mean, I don't have any disagreement. And Don and I have discussed this privately, and we really have no differences. And, and even any differences we have on SBC matters are never really differences of fact. It's really more differences of how do we approach it. Or how do we do it? And it's and it's so the differences are so slight. It's hard to see any light between us, really. Yeah. Um, right. It's just shades of it. But the uh, the report, I, I agree with Don. I, I was driving back from Alabama from our vacation, and we had stopped at Books a Million, and I saw something pop up on my phone that uh, that the report had been released. So I downloaded it to my phone and actually read some parts of it while I'm walking around Books a Million, you mm. know, and. Um, so, uh, but I agree with Don. I think it is written from a particular perspective. It um, everything is interpreted from that perspective. Uh, most of the things, most of the things have things that have been out there are nothing really new. Now, the Johnny Hunt thing was totally new for all of us. It's almost like it is assumed that even though the executive committee and Southern Baptists have done things in accordance with our polity, which is unique among denominations. I mean, it's not a top-down polity. We have a bottom-up polity. Mm-hmm. And um, the, about the, you know, it's just very difficult to deal with things with a widely scattered denomination of autonomous churches, you know, that choose their own way. And I think the EC was trying to deal with that. And, uh, but it seems like that nothing is good enough in the current environment in the current environment of the sbc or well the current environment of the country and yeah then okay. since the, we are affected by the the world environment especially as we grow more and more pragmatic then it the outside environment affects the environment within the sbc yeah okay so i don't know was there anything, maybe the Johnny Hunt thing, did that genuinely shock you? Was that the surprise from the from the report? You asking me? Um, Either one of you, both of you. Uh, well, it was it was a surprise. I, I've never been a real big fan of Johnny Hunt, but uh, uh, as far as I knew, he had a good reputation, you know. So that was uh, I would we I think we would say that is the bombshell of the report. The Paul Pressler stuff had been out there for years, and yeah. even working through the courts for years. So that was not new. Some of the other things were not new, and but the Johnny Hunt thing was the bombshell that none of us really expected. Don, 
Right. Yeah. Um, Johnny Hunt, uh, Johnny Hunt and I actually have knocked heads before uh, years ago. Uh, maybe that's another story for another day. But uh, yeah, that was 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 uh, shocking. And, and, and I think we still only have one side of the, the, the story. Uh, the way that the report read was it kind of comes across as a he said, she said type of thing. And those and uh, she's credible and he is not. Uh, well, why is not he not credible? They didn't really explain why Johnny Hunt's uh, side of the things was not uh, credible. Uh, it read very oddly. When I first read just the first paragraph or so, it said that, uh, you know, this story has been coll co collaborated by uh, several individuals, uh, including her husband and three witnesses. And I'm thinking, wait a minute, Johnny Hunt sexually abused a woman in front of her husband and in front of three witnesses. Yeah. That's kind of hard to believe. Yeah. And, but then when you read the details, that's not the case. Uh, the husband didn't even know about it until Johnny Hunt brought it up uh, uh, later. And then the three so-called witnesses are just people who the couple told the story to. Yeah. They, kind of third hand. Witnesses. And so it is a very strange way of, of, of writing. It, it, it sounds like some of those, you know, yellow journalism blogs that, that throw, blow things out of proportion, use, you know, rhetoric to make people think that you mean something that's not really true. And so the whole thing just sounds really fishy uh, to me. If we try to cut through it all, it seems to me is that Johnny Hunt did something that's completely unacceptable, completely unacceptable. Whether it's abuse I have a big question mark. I, I, I tend to agree with his statement. I did not abuse anyone. And I think from uh, his perspective and the old use of abuse, you know, now anything a white man does is abuse. So yeah, uh, in yeah. the old definition of abuse, uh, he didn't abuse anyone. Did something happen that should not have happened? Apparently, apparently. Um, and, and, and so I think we need to, make sure that we filter through the way that the guidepost report is trying to make us, you know, just get emotional and inflammatory about it and get to the actual facts and uh, that we'll never know for sure. But that's kind of how I see it, that something happened well, and unacceptable, but whether it's called abuse or not, I have a big question mark. Tony. And the way the report is written in that portion, I mean, it's the staid report. And then you come to the Johnny Hunt thing and it reads like one of these uh, potboiler uh, romance novels where, you know, it's it's lurid. It's it's detailed about, well, bare bottoms and things like that. Yeah, I mean, yeah. it's it becomes very lurid. Uh, it's like, OK, they're trying to stir people up. And uh, I, I Johnny Hunt came out very strongly and said, I did not abuse anyone. So I think it's going to be interesting to see how this proceeds, um, especially if his wife speaks up, because it, it does is in the report that his wife even said, told the woman, you need to go. Yeah. So obviously this was before that happened. So obviously I think this thing is deeper than they're saying uh, who knows? I, it's like Don said, none of us were in that room. We don't know what happened. Uh, but Johnny Hunt is vociferously denying that any abuse took place. That's the way he's saying it. Any abuse took place. So it would be interesting to see how it goes forward because now they're, they're 
you know, it's kind of let the crucifixions begin, you yeah. know, that's, uh, well, the, that was, uh, kind of my observation when I got to that point, let me just, for people, I'm going to put links to, um, the report on the show notes for this so they can see it. But at the masthead of the front cover of the report is a warning. It's like a trigger alert kind of thing, you know, and it says this report includes information and descriptions related to sexual assault. This may be triggering to readers who have had similar experiences. We encourage you to care for your safety and well-being. The content of this report is not appropriate for, for children. So you've immediately got in your mind this orientation, exactly what you were talking about with you know lurid descriptions of sexual assault, which, of course, legitimately those would be. But I would go back to something Don said, which is, there's no definition of what abuse is in this thing that I found. Now I read it, I read it in a couple of hours and I wasn't really making notes, but I'm like, okay, well, how are we defining what that abuse is? And in the case of hunt, uh, yeah, he's come out and said, you know, he denies it, but there is almost this suspension of, you know, innocent until proven guilty, you get a charge like this, which I think we see as the vestiges of the Me Too movement, the accusation is enough to create guilt. Um, Mm -hmm. And I kind of read it and thought, "Eh, this sounds like that's what's going on. Well, you you see this, and then the powers that be in the SBC, I I mean, the movers and shakers that are waxing eloquent, they're just assuming guilt and moving forward. Right. And, Bud, you, that is a great point that you just made, because I read through the whole document as well. I, didn't, I hadn't read the uh, two appendix, but that in a report like this, it seems like in the first section, they should have defined terms. Yeah. I mean, that's what you do in a, in a report, right? Yeah. I mean, you define terms. And so abuse, uh, assault, those words were not um, defined in this. They were just uh, assumed. And they've taken, you know, what's just floating around in the air of the culture as those definitions. And yeah, so that, that, that's a really good point. Well, let's let me ask you guys about this issue of the database. Before I do that, Don, to your point that this has been going on long before even the 2019 thing from uh, Houston Chronicle and that the EC, EC was trying to deal with the issue, trying to figure out a way, because like Tony said, the polity of the SBC is not a top-down hierarchical denomination. It, it truly is a bottom-up. Uh, you know, the power of the SBC is really rightly supposed to be located in independent, autonomous churches that voluntarily cooperate with the SBC, but the EC um, had been trying to do this with regards to a database to create some mechanism by which independent churches could share information about, you know, potential threats, malefactors that might be in the ministry and bouncing from church to church. So we'll talk about that in a second, but the issue with Hunt, I think, if I'm not mistaken, that's from like 12 years ago that this allegedly occurred. Mm -hmm. It was not like while he's a spokesman for the North American Mission Board or while he was president of the SBC, this was was 12 years ago or so. Is that right? Did I read that right? Yes, yes, which which makes it, I kind of wondered, why is it even in this report? It actually falls outside of the scope the scope of this report is to see the mishandling of abuse by the executive committee. Yeah, that's that's well, that someone the could, scope of the report. 
And so someone did correct me and, and said that presidents serve on the executive committee one or two years after they have ended their presidency. So technically he may have been a member of the executive committee. Uh, okay. All right. That's how, okay. So that's a, that's a fine point there of what right. qualifies, I guess, in that but, category. Know, let's don't lose the fact that some of this was a power struggle against the executive committee, but they had to go back 12 years to actually find something. <laughs> yeah. And, and that's right. the, and not that if it's legitimate, which he's denying, uh, not that it's not serious. Certainly it is serious right. and, it, and it does need to be dealt with, but you got to go back over a decade to find somebody from the EC or associated with the EC that's complicit, that that's visibly com- complicit, allegedly. Uh, the problem doesn't really seem to be the executive committee. But now, let me ask you guys now about this, because Augie Boto, who was vice president, and I don't have the years, but he had been the vice president of the executive committee. And the report indicates that there had been this database that had been sort of surreptitiously being compiled by the EC. It was not, I guess, readily available to you as a pastor of a Southern Baptist church. But the EC had this. And it appears that part of the reason that it was not made available is that it would open up the convention proper, the SBC proper, to potential litigation, to potential lawsuit. So that's a difficult situation because the polity is it's not a top-down structure. It's not a genuine denomination where Nashville dictates what you as a local SBC pastor get to, to do in your church. It's the other way around. So was that an illegitimate thing for the EC to have this and not publish it? I mean, what are your thoughts about that? Yeah, well, see, here, here's the thing, because this issue is what a lot of people are jumping on, that the EC did not have a publicly accessible database, yet they were secretly keeping this database for themselves Yeah, as if, as, as if something you know, sneaky is happening. Having, collecting data and making that data public are two is two hugely different things, hugely different. There is nothing wrong with, with taking newspaper clippings. I think Augie even said this, taking newspaper clippings and put them in a drawer, you know, which it was a little bit more than that, but there's nothing wrong with that. When you publish that, then now you're opening yourself up to all sorts of things. Yeah. Um, and, 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 and which brings up the legitimacy of their reluctance to, have a publicly accessible database. I mean, like I said, I read through the whole report, and as far as I can tell, I don't see how Augie Bodo did anything wrong. Um, and I don't know him personally, but I don't think he did anything wrong. He was legitimately protecting the, the executive committee and the Southern Baptist Convention against lawsuits, keeping a database for themselves in case they do figure out how can we legally and safely make some of this public, um, I, I think he was doing his due diligence. And so that's when he, he's accused of doing nothing. Well, he was doing something. He was making plans, preparations, uh, uh, leaving options open for that to happen. But my big point is that that um, not making that public as if that's some sort of scandalous thing while they were keeping it secret. Those are two different, totally different things. I, I'll give you, and here's understanding what the lawyers are saying is, if you have some information, even if it's illegitimate, you just have it for yourself 
no harm done. Mm -hmm. But you make that illegitimate information public. Now you've opened yourself up to things. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I was thinking about this. Here's, here's a great example. You know, the Jennifer Lyle case, if, if your listeners are, are familiar with that, that's one of the biggest things with the Jennifer Lyle's case is she is very upset about Baptist press and executive committee, uh, not wording the situation appropriately. They said that David Seals was fired because of an inappropriate sexual relationship, I think is the way that they worded it. She is suing them and, uh, and relentlessly um, upset because they didn't use the word sexual abuse and sexual assault. Okay. Now let's, let's flip it around. Think about, think about what if they did say sexual abuse, it would have been just as likely. And I don't know, David Seals, it would have been just as likely and just as legally plausible for him to turn around and do the same thing Jennifer Lyles is doing to the executive committee and Baptist press saying that you are defaming my character by <laughs> saying what was not true. You see what I'm saying? That's an excellent so, point. Yeah. And so that's what, that's what Augie Bodo and the rest of them were saying, look, we need to be very careful at how we word these things and, and say these things because you know, we don't want to drain our missions money on these types of things, which apparently is what's about to start to happen. Yeah. Yeah. So, well, and go ahead, ahead Tony. No, 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 go ahead. Well, well, just to add to what Don said and the, the information that was collected, these circumstances that may have been out there, the vast, vast majority of them, there was no prosecution. There was no, um, there may have been actual abuse. Some may have been actual affairs, but if there's no prosecution and then people are denying it and then you come out publicly and say, well, this person abused this person, then you are opening yourself up, as Don said, for lawsuits. Yeah. Because there's if, if there's nothing officially been done, then it becomes, I'm not saying, I'm not making light of the possible abuse cases or possible whatever happened, but this idea that it is wrong to try to protect yourself from lawsuits, which is in the report mm -hmm. is it, crazy. That's what you do. If you don't have the goods or really something that's incontrovertible, you have to hold it to yourself. Yeah. You don't go public with it. Well, now, now, uh, just a few days ago, as of, as of the time you guys are recording with me, the EC came out and released that database. Some of it has been excised. I mean, there's, you know, uh, lines in there that are hiding some information, names, I presume. But when you look through a lot of those, I scanned it. These were adjudicated cases. I mean, some of these things went to court. Somebody was found guilty. Somebody went to prison. Somebody, you know. So right. this is how was it not handled properly if the adjudication found guilt and, you know, the civil justice did its job as a, as a minister wielding the sword. I, I mean, it's horrible that those things would happen, but how is that not uh, accommodating the justice required is that a legit yeah, question? I mean, I don't know. The list, so. Yeah, mo most of the list, if I understand it right, most of the list was compiled from Google. Yeah. So it wasn't like they had this secret information that no one else had access to. It was just readily available material. And so it, it, the only distinction is that it was collected. 
um, it, it was all out there. Yeah. Uh, and, and that was one of the arguments uh, uh, that the EC had years ago when they looked into the database idea. They said, look, there's already the state already has a sex offender database. And if a church that's hiring someone is not going to look at the state's sex abuse database, you think they're going to look at the Southern Baptist sex abuse database? You know, why duplicate efforts? Yeah. Uh, and, and, and why spend and even all the redacted stuff off of this little bitty list? Somebody took a lot of time and a lot of hours to try to know what do we redact? What do we not redact? Yeah, yeah. We let it out there. This, that's a huge thing. And are we going to duplicate the entire judicial system of the United States uh, on this particular issue within the Southern Baptist Convention if it's already being, being done? And the people that are accusing the executive committee of not doing it are the very ones to say the church shouldn't be handling this. We need to turn it over to authorities. Mm -hmm. uh, if something happens, call the police. That's what you ought to do. And I agree with that. that call the police. Let the police deal with it. It's a crime. Uh, and so to try to duplicate those efforts just doesn't seem like a, a wise stewardship of our money. Yeah. So if something happened, God forbid, in your church as a Southern Baptist pastor, your fo first phone call is not going to be to the executive committee or to whomever agency is a compiling a list. No, you're going to call law enforcement. You're going to deal with it. You know, you've, you've crossed a line now, not only sinful, but criminal. So you go that route. Exactly. Tony, you look like you're pondering. <laughs> no, I'm not. Oh, I'm not pondering. Well, thanks for your help. I was actually, I was actually, <laughs> um, enjoying listening to Don. Don is, is very well informed on these things. And, uh, I'm always impressed with his analysis. So I was enjoying that. So now then, do you think as a result of mainly the data database, the EC database being released now is the convention open to litigation? Are you going to start seeing lawsuits slung around left or right? You know, I don't, I don't know. I, I hadn't looked at the list, the long list that they just um, produced and the nature of it. I'm thinking if I understand it right, it's mostly just, um, uh, news articles. And so perhaps not, but then again, I'm not a lawyer. And so, um, uh, unlike Bart Barber, I'm going to defer to the lawyers instead of saying I'm smarter than they are. Uh, and, and our, our tradition, the SBC lawyers that we are the executive committee lawyers that we used to have that are no longer uh, with us uh, that we had for 60 years and have walked away because of all of this, because of the unwise decisions that we're making. Um, I, I think they were probably right that uh, we have some serious problems. So perhaps this is opening things up. Uh, it's hard to say what's going to happen. Well, it's hard for me when, when you look at the way they found fault with the actions of the executive committee mm -hmm. and that, you know, they didn't, they ignored, they dismissed. And there's all of these statements. It's hard for me to see how lawsuits will not happen because now you have an official report that at least assigns some kind of at least allegedly bl assigns blame. I think we're going to see lawsuits. I'm, I may be wrong. I'm not, I'm like Don. I'm not an attorney. Maybe we should ask Bart Barber. He seems to understand it better. So yeah, uh, well, speaking of the ignoring issue, um, I don't think it's illegal to ignore somebody. Uh, and so, uh, but, but people are trying to make it out like that. But that was one of the most frustrating things, reading the whole, the whole uh, report. It was over and over and over again. They use words like uh, 
the person was ignored. They were dismissed and all, all they did nothing. And then the very next sentence says what they did. Yeah. <laughs> you know, they said, and, and uh, Augie Bodo, especially, he was the one saying that they crucified the most. They'd say he ignored them. And then the next sentence is saying what he did. Um, he did nothing. He was swapping emails it. with. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we never heard back from him. And then in the email that he sent two weeks later, wait a minute. He, he, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, so, well, and that was well, all the thing, way through like that. Well, another, another aspect of the report, they cited that Frank Page ruled out of order someone bringing before this, the convention uh, to set up. A, it was either a task force for sexual abuse or whatever. And it says Frank Page ruled it out of order. Well, anybody that's been a part of the convention knows that a president doesn't rule anything out of order unless he consults with the parliamentarian who's telling you the way things have to be done. So it was ruled out of order because it was par- parliament. It was not correct from a parliamentary standpoint, not because we wanted to cover up abuse. And that's kind of the way they left it. Mm-hmm. So yeah, those kind of little tricks were all rhetorical tricks. I call them were all the way through this report. Um, and so it was very frustrating. Well, I'll, I'll come back to the uh, barb of Bart Barber that <laughs> you guys have kind of mentioned in a minute. Cause I want to a- also ask you about, uh, Askel in the upcoming convention, but, but l- let me, let me ask you about this because part of the fallout from this report right now, uh, and, and I, I know there's more, but the, I think the biggest thing that I've seen is that Danny Aiken, president of Southeastern theological seminary, Baptist theological seminary has announced that they are disaffiliating, I guess, anything with Johnny Hunt and also with Paige Patterson. I guess there's a building there named after Patterson. So that that's going to change. So Aiken has come out um, in response largely to this report. And, uh, you know, he's taking these these bold stands. Uh, we're going to have nothing to do with Hunt and we're going to have nothing to do with, with Patterson. So it appears to be what I would consider a liberal versus conservative politics within the SBC. And the the report just sort of read like, well, it's really all the conservative guys that may have been part of the conservative (laughs) resurgence. Those are the guys that really either are guilty or not necessarily of sexual abuse, but in Johnny Hunt's case, maybe so, um, but not dealing with the issue. So is this really all about politics this is the good old boy sbc political machine at work uh danny aiken and you know endorsing uh Lytton at last year's convention i mean you see this sort of stream is that what you think's happening Th- this is a ploy this is a maneuver oh yeah yeah definitely and um uh, I, I, I did, I, to be honest with you, I only saw the headline of what uh, Danny Aiken is doing with taking the n- names off the buildings. I didn't read their official statement, but a couple of things jump out at me. Why now with Paige Patterson? I mean, that whole issue was several years ago. Yeah. Um, and so now he's taking it off. Well, it seems sort of opportunistic uh, to, to me. Uh, and then uh, he seems to jump the gun with Johnny Hunt. Uh, I mean, we just have this one report about something and before the dust even settles, they're already doing this. It seems that jumping the gun, if you ask me. So, um, but it, it's a big virtual virtue signal and Danny Aiken, uh, God bless him. Seems to be the king of virtue signaling, uh, these days. And, um, 
that's what it seems to be. Yeah, definitely. And and let me, well, let me I agree. Back. I mean, Tony will have some ahead, things ahead, to say Don. about that as well. But let me let me jump back before I forget, um, Bud, and say one thing that um, that that you just mentioned. One of the things, even before the guidepost um, report came out, and me and Tony have talked about this. If you read a lot of this stuff, it's as if the executive committee is guilty of sex abuse. That's what you walk away with a lot of these mm -hmm. news articles and blog posts thinking that they are the ones. And that's not even the accusation. Mm -hmm. uh, the accusation was that they mishandled reports of sexual abuse. Right. Not that they were guilty of sex abuse. But if you read a lot of these blog posts and, and news articles, you walk away sounding like they're the ones that are guilty of it. Yeah. Um, and, and that distinction needs to be uh, made very loud, loudly. Well, um, now, sure. And I think that's one of the reasons why they took so much pains to stick Johnny Hunt story in there, because then absolutely. that blurs the line between that distinction that we're talking about. Uh, excellent point. Tony, you were going to say. No, I agree with that. I think that's why they went back 12 years to find Johnny Hunt, uh, at least at, although we don't know exactly what happened, at least they can lay that charge at him and they can say, oh, this was in the executive committee. And um, of course, the, um, the, the back to the power struggle, anyone who was at the convention last year, and you and I uh, talked about this after the convention last year. Anyone who was at the convention and who was aware, I'm thinking, I'm wondering if there were a lot of people there who were not aware because of what happened. You saw the power struggle going on, and it was a power struggle between the executive committee and the entities, the more progressive wing, which is controlling largely the entities. And um, the the executive committee was actually trying to impose the ability to, I think, withhold funding from some of the entities if they were not doing certain things that got voted down. Mm -hmm. So I think there was a clear power struggle. And then uh, you had, you know, what, a week or two before you had the Russell Moore letter get leaked, you know, that he had been sitting on for 18 months, supposedly. And that got leaked. And that ended up, I was surprised to the, deg the degree to which the Russell Moore pushing and what resulted from that dominated the convention and it was directed at the executive committee. That was the reason why Wednesday morning, after being there that first day, I left. I left I, early Wednesday morning. I went in for just a short time. I saw the same thing going on. I said, I'm out of here because I saw that same power thing going on. Yeah. Yeah. And the Johnny Cash Museum was down there. Down the street. Hey, that was that was the greatest <laughs> blessing. Other other than meeting with some really good friends on uh, Monday night, that, that that were wonderful people, the Johnny Cash Museum was the greatest blessing of that trip. <laughs> I enjoyed the story. Folks can go back and listen to our talk on the, on a previous podcast. <laughs> but let me get back to the EC thing because I, I I agree with Don. I think the the sort of takeaway you get from looking at this report is that the executive committee is it's the evil doer in the midst of all of this, if not by cover up, possibly by action, uh, abusive action. But is, am I wrong in saying, wasn't it Ronnie Floyd who actually hired guidepost before yes. he, before he resigned from the EC? I believe so. Right. Okay. So, mm -hmm. wow, that there's something to that. Maybe I'll have to think. Well, out loud, the EC was more conservative over the last couple of years. They seem to have a more conservative 
view of things. And as opposed to the more, I would call progressive view that you saw in some of the entities, uh, especially the URL. So there, huh? Yeah. Especially oh, yeah. The ERL. It's amazing to me how, how the degree to which this, everyone says, Oh, the RSC only gets $5 million, you know? Yeah. But how that small tail is able to wag the dog. Well, the whole Russell Moore thing, I mean, this is just atrocious. If he had this information, which apparently he implies he did, uh, and you sat on it all this time, but you're kind of free and clear of any obligation. Why is Augie Bodo getting nailed for sitting on stuff when right. Russell Moore has told you he sat on it? I, right. I don't get it. <laughs> I mean, right. I, I, maybe there's no you're exactly right. Well, Don and I both talked about that. It, it makes no sense. But Russell Moore, in terms of the national media, he is doing the word, the work of the Lord from their standpoint, you know, he is willing to throw people under the bus. He's really willing to say, oh, these things are so bad. And he's willing to go on the New York times and trash evangelicals. So, uh, he's going to get handled with kid gloves. Yeah. Yeah. This is something I'm just thinking about. Um, do do you see any connection with the 2019 convention and the vote for CT? You know, we can use critical theory as, as, um, an analytical tool. Do you see any connection between the adoption of critical theory, at least in the institutions, maybe with the work that this independent agency has done? Because it just oozes victimhood in the report. Is that going to be more acceptable to the SBC, especially SBC proper because oh, we, we agree with CT. Mm. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Um, there's there's that Marxist sort of worldview behind it all. Uh, I mentioned this to Tony uh, just yesterday, even in the sense that, you know, it, the, the, the report looking at what the lawyers were doing, protecting the institution from lawsuits as a bad thing. Well, that we, sh- we should do away with that, um, you know, wa- a waive attorney-client privilege and all of these things that come from our Judeo-Christian worldview of Western civilization that is built on Christianity. All that needs to be out the window. Yeah. Uh, they they want to throw all of that out. Yeah. And so, yeah, definitely. It's coming from that, that same um, burn it all down mentality. Well, um, they weren't explicit in the report, but if you read it through that lens, what you've effectively taught people is that here we have systemic abuse. It's, it's a systemic right. issue. So I don't know. Uh, uh, I thought I'd ask. Well, and there's another, yeah. And that's the, but that's the way the secular articles are, are presenting it and even some of the quote-unquote religious articles are presenting it but understand also that this report i mean there's it's it's amazing how quickly people like the washington post generated articles that leaves it really open that somebody leaked this report to some favored news organizations unless these people are just so brilliant that they can uh, read through quickly read through a 300 page report and dash out a brilliantly written article yeah oh yeah oh yeah yeah that's that's so a my good question point. is okay if this is a confidential report until it gets released why is it being released into favored and liberal um media organs i hadn't thought about that 
Uh, interesting. Well, but but at the same time, Tony, like you said, is none of this stuff was new. I mean, people knew what was going to come. Yeah. Um, the basic. I mean, you could have consolidated that entire report down to a page or two and covered everything that they covered, except for you know particularities. Yeah. It, it, you know, so everybody knew what it was. All right. So the the SBC conventions coming up in Anaheim in a few weeks from June 15th, I think maybe I'm, I'm not exactly sure of the dates, but anyway, very close to coming up, uh, and we'll be a week or two out by the time this podcast drops. Are either of you going first of all? No, I'm not gonna be able to make it. No, no, I'm not going either. Okay. With this report having come out, you want to prognosticate about what's going to happen at the convention in light of it? <laughs> it will be a massive virtue signaling session. Well, the world is watching, which was a, <laughs> a yeah. frequent refrain yeah. of the last one. Watch what we were told last year. Right, right. And, and, and I'll, tell you, I'll tell you what, and, and Tony's exactly right. Um, and, and here's maybe where Tony said there's a fine line difference between me and him. The only thing that I would say is there's no way to really get around doing that. I mean – this is out there. It's being talked about. It's all in the news. If we just, if this convention in Anaheim just didn't say a word about sex abuse, th- that wouldn't be appropriate. We, we need mm-hmm. to make sure that the world knows we are against sex abuse. Now, how that is done, I, I think it'd probably be done better than I, I know that it's going to happen, <laughs> you okay. know, but um, that, that's, that, uh, that signal does need to go out there. Uh, when, when, when something like this happens. And so uh, I'm not going to be quite as discouraged by that happening every time they get up on the platform, because what else are you going to do? But now, wait a minute. Now, Don, you're, you're post mill. Does that make sense? Yeah. But Don, you're push back against me and I'll explain. But I'm, I, I want to interject here. You're post-mill, right? I, didn't I see a post where you said I'm post-millennial? I am. So I am, yes. is that really the lens through which you're looking at all this that's why. You, you <laughs> yeah, it's going to work out, man. <laughs> okay. It's just a small little step back. We'll, we'll keep going. All right. And I don't want this to devolve into an argument on eschatology because I don't actually even know Tony's stance. But, Tony, you were going to say, what were you going to say in response to him? Oh, I, I don't disagree with Don. I think that uh, we do need to speak to it because it, it, you could not ignore it. But I think Tom Askell has spoken very well. And I know this kind of segues us into the presidential thing. Yeah. But um, Tom Askell has spoken very well about how we need to do it. One of the things is we are, this is just a continual reaping of the bitter, bad fruit of pragmatism that the SBC has sold itself to over several decades. Mm. (laughs) And so what is the answer? Yes, we grieve over the sin. We repent. But we need to recommit to, as you would say, preaching the law, preaching the gospel, mm-hmm. and addressing these things from a biblical standpoint. But I fear that we're allowing the world's view of things to color, as an organization, how we deal with it. Don, uh, Tony and I were talking before you came on, and I'll just share this and get your impression of this. I've been reading the classic Southern Baptist authored book, Ernie Reisinger's The Law and the Gospel, uh, and, and some other, other things as well. And, um, 
in kind of studying where the SBC is and certainly pragmatism, all the church growth methodology and all this stuff that has just consumed this, this yearning for cultural relevancy that the denomination proper has. And I qualify that because you two guys in your churches are not into that. But I went this past week and looked at the SBC website and I'm looking for, how do I become a Christian? And you have to do a search with the little magnifying glass to even find anything about here's what it means to be, how to become a Christian. And it effectively takes you kind of through the Romans road uh, and ends up with a sinner's prayer and congratulates you essentially if you've said that prayer and to let the SBC know so that they can, they can help you along. It's the issue of pragmatism that I think Tony is right, has brought the SBC where it's at, not merely with a sexual abuse crisis, but with all the other things, the loss of, of church discipline, uh, the jettisoning of the law from gospel. It's a watered down gospel. I don't think it's even an accurate gospel. I don't, I mean, the Lord can work through anything. I know people that are saved out of the Roman Catholic church, but they get out of there. What precipitated this? It's not merely pragmatism. It is doctrinal would you agree with that oh yeah definitely definitely and um and, and that's what one of the things I mean, pragmatism really yeah that's the the root of it and sort of what, what i'm thinking is that like the woke stuff you know we're talking about the sex abuse stuff that's that's following the woke all the woke stuff it's really it's it's the details are changing it's no different than the secret sensitive movement back, you know, years ago exactly. and the emergent church. It's a different demographic that they're trying to attract yeah. is all that it is. It's the same. It's the same template uh, that, that's there trying to get the world to think that we are nice, cool, relevant, whatever the word word you want to use. It's basically the same. And at the root of that is a, a weak view of the, with the power of the gospel. Uh, because what, what it is, is thinking, hey, we can win people to Christ by not the, not the clear articulation of the gospel, but by them thinking that we're okay people, that we're good people, that we're nice people, that we're cool people, that we're relevant people. And if you, they, we can convince them of that, then they'll join us. Well, that, that's a denial of the power of the gospel. Mm -hmm. The power of the gospel is to preach the gospel to sinners and they fall under the conviction of the Holy Spirit. And that is how they're converted. Not by thinking, hey, that's a cool club to go join. Let's go, go with them. They're pretty nice. Yeah, yeah. Well, exactly. And and that page on the uh, website, I mean, it mentions sin, but it doesn't tell you what sin is. It doesn't connect it to the, to the holiness of God and the moral standards of his law that reflect his His ontology in my view that sort of leaves it open to subjectivism well i do feel bad i know when i do something wrong i have a conscience unless they're so down so far down the path that it's been hardened but yes yeah, so i feel bad so but that's not what sin is that may be an indication that you need to recognize an objective standard and not this subjective thing so i, I just you know as i look at it um it, it seems to me that that loss of the law Right. joined to the gospel you have to know what you're guilty of before the grace even matters and certainly without those two things i don't think like you're implying there you have a a transforming gospel well and don speaking uh, don going back to our forum because we have such a broad group of people initially when we started we had kind of a lot of people that just thought like us because we invited our friends 
but now it's become a very broad group. And sometimes it is discouraging to read the theology expressed by some of the people and some of them being pastors. It is very discouraging. And so I do think that there is a crisis in the pulpits regarding theology and regarding doctrine. And uh, I think, I mean, I don't know if you can lay it at the feet of the seminaries or just, I I don't know really where you lay it uh, fully, but there is a problem. There's a doctrinal problem within churches. Do you have a lot of pastors that are members of the group? I mean, that are active and in dialogue on it? I guess so. You're that's what you're, is it mainly pastors? I mean, y'all let me in (laughs) a few years ago and I'm not right. Uh, yeah, no, I don't, I don't know if it would be mainly pastors. There are a lot. And, and one thing that, um, I have to guard myself against, and I've mentioned this to Tony too. Don't just assume because a guy's in there, he's a pastor. He might be, you know, a guy that attends church every six months, you know, oh, and, yeah. uh, because, <laughs> you know, he's, he's in the group. And, and so there, there's some of that. So I, I try to not get too discouraged, even though, yeah, it is troubling what Tony's saying, it, that there, there's some weak theology out there. Well, I, I mean, I don't well, think and- you can disagree with the fact that, when I left the Southern Baptist Convention, I left the Southern Baptist Church. What I did was start searching for sound preaching in my ear. This is years ago. And uh, uh, like a concentric circle, I kept moving out to listen to the sermons that were online. And these guys don't get it. I mean, this is barely a notch above a Joel Osteen kind of explanation of scripture there's no even they'll tell people this is expositional preaching well it's not if you've heard it you mm-hmm. know what it's not and uh so you you move further out and i think tony is right that there is a a dearth of of sound theology in the pulpits and the pragmatism is driving the need and i think you guys like you know, Kevin Ezell at NAM uh, that are pushing for open up more campuses and we need more churches and all that. Well, the convention lost 1.1 million in the last three years. Now, COVID certainly had an effect on that. And I think that's the Lord's hand at work and doing some pruning there. But the fact is you, you add all these churches and you're losing members. Well, that's kind of, well, because if the truth isn't proclaimed, People are people are going to tolerate a Joel Osteen kind of presentation of truth for a little while, but there's no substance there. You can't grow on it. You can't live on it. You can't turn to it for for guidance, for solace, for comfort, any of those things. So I'm talking more than I wanted to because I got you two right. geniuses on well, here. Look at the liberal denominations here. that are all dying, and uh, and and that is common knowledge. We we know that the liberal denominations are dying because who wants to go commit themselves to nothing? Yeah. Uh, yet we as Southern Baptists say, "Hey, let's do the same thing." <laughs> yeah, it well, doesn't make any even like, practic- pragmatic sense. It doesn't make. Yeah, it's like where's you used to be people of the book. I, right. Can they even find the book in some of these pulpits? Right. I don't know. Um, well, and and the the um, the pragmatism we also need to acknowledge it goes back decades. It, the, the circumstances yeah. and Don mentioned it about the different demographics. But look, when conservative politics were in vogue in the 80s and 90s, the pragmatism was toward Republican politics. You knew would have Republican politicians. Mm-hmm. And so it's not just the new wokeness that is the Southern Baptist has suddenly become pragmatic. It's been pragmatic. Yeah. yeah. And it's just shifted with, as Don said, the different demographics they're trying to reach. That's why 
it, it was interesting. You remember a few years back, they had invited Mike Pence to speak at the convention and it became very controversial. Mm-hmm. And that was almost like the dying out of the old guard of pragmatism <laughs> and the introduction of the new guard of pragmatism. <laughs> That's true. That's a good point. That may be a right. threshold a historical threshold where this occurs. And that, and that's why, and that's why I, uh, try not to get overly discouraged. And I seem like I'm not as discouraged as other folks are. If you compare Tony and I, it's because I've been discouraged for 30 years (laughs) because I've seen it. We talk about the leftward drift. I'm like, it's always been leftward drifting. You've got to always be, um, uh, you know, pulling the steering wheel to the right. That's just a a thing that goes back. Is the the problems are might the detail of the problems are 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 different, but the the root of it is always the same. Yeah, it's always it's always there. That's what that's why I I don't get overly discouraged. So it's it's really an issue of a failure of semper semper reformanda. I mean, you need to constantly be reforming. Uh, exactly. to the word exactly. of God. So, all right. All right. I, and I want to respect you guys time. We've been going almost an hour, but let me ask you this. Okay. So you've got, I guess the two big names, Tom Askell and uh, Bart Barber up for presidency. What's your prediction? Uh, my prediction is Bart will, I'm sure win. Unfortunately, I, and, and I don't want to be too hard on Bart. Tony's probably a little harder on, on him than I am. Um, I, I think we could have lots worse. I'm sure he's a great guy and everything. There's a few things that he's done and said that are, are troubling. But um, I love Tom Askell. Uh, uh, I've been good friends with Tom Askell for, for a long time. Uh, Tom has been, I say good friends. We, I know, we know each other, but uh, he has been tremendously influential in my life over the last 25 years. Uh, and so, to, and that's what I would have never dreamed that he would have been able to be, even be a candidate of the Southern Baptist convention, you know, <laughs> if, look back 10 years ago, come on, that that's, we would have said there's no possible way. <laughs> And so there's some encouragement there to me that, um, hey, well, there's eschatological hope. There's eschatological yeah. hope, right? That's exactly. Exactly. But, and so well, and um, that's an interest. It's going to be oh, interesting to see. It's going to be interesting to see what happens. I'm just glad that he's running and that his voice is being heard, that people are talking about it. And, um, who, who knows? We've, we've been surprised before. I, I think, I, I mean, I, I'd love to see him, uh, in the office and, and make some changes and all the rest. Well, I I agree with Don. I I strongly support Tom Askell. I know Tom. I don't know him real well, but I mean, I know him well enough that after the convention of last, the first day of the convention last year, I sent him a a message and he responded, you know, and just said, hey, Don, hey, uh, Tom, I'm discouraged. (laughs) He said, hey, brother, I understand you. (laughs) And and so um, I I really think he is doctrinally sound. I think he has a biblical bibliocentric christ-centric way of looking at things and i think he is the man for the hour do i think he would be elected no i do not Uh, i think there is a the southern baptist quote-unquote machine is more behind bart barber and i don't know bart personally he may be a great guy uh he's definitely the establishment candidate he is more he is definitely the one who supports the southern baptist brand very much and, uh, you know, he's, he has even said himself that he doesn't see that he wouldn't say that there are no problems whatsoever, but he thinks that we we're going great and we just need to 
fix these small issues. Whereas Tom Aska would say we need to, and his, his, his kind of campaign slogan is change the direction. So, um, and I think he's right, but um, I do expect Bart Barber will win. And I'm, I'm, I agree with Don. It could be far worse. Is Barber better than Lytton in your view? <laughs> I think so. I, I think, I think so. Disaster. But I, 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 go ahead. I'm sorry. No, I, I'm sorry. Uh, I, I think so. I, 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 I'm not 100% sure. I haven't really fought, followed Barber. Um, I mean, I've known of him for years, but I really don't know. It's hard to say. Okay. I know he was big behind I, I do the think- Paige Patterson thing which is in my, my mind, a mark against him. Yeah. Um, I think he was very instrumental in what happened to Paige Patterson, which I think was atrocious. Tony. Well, and uh, I think Litton has been atrocious because I mean, <laughs> the plagiarism and then the fact that there was no real coming clean. Uh, they were, he was not going to resign because you've got a African-American conservative African-American as first vice president who would then become uh, president and that would destroy their whole narrative. So they were not mm-hmm. going to do that. Bart, I, I don't know. I, I think Bart is, is, is more in tune with the politics and I, I suspect he will make the same kind of uh, appointments that Ed Litton would make. I think he is more aligned with that segment. I think it's, we're now divided politically. I'm not sure there's a middle ground. And so I think Bart will probably make the same appointments that uh jd greer made or ed Litton made well that's that's the obvious question then um barber prevails this sort of progressive establishment wing of the party if you will it prevails in anaheim does this precipitate a mass exodus of churches from the sbc who would be on the other side who would be conservative baptist network or even theologically reformed independent of course all the churches are do you see fallout from that with regards to maybe a split or a mass exodus? Well, let me say this about regarding Bart as a progressive. Um, I do think there is a progressive wing. I also think there is a Southern Baptist brand wing Okay, <laughs> that, you know, and I, I would really see Bart as more of an establishment. I don't see him promoting critical race theory, but he has also kind of tried to have this middle ground view of it. Okay. Um, I just see him as more of an establishment guy who's going to really try to support the, the name and everything. So, and, and quite frankly, I think that is basically, it is a progressive direction going now, yeah. but I just want to say that I don't necessarily think he is a progressive necessarily. That's a good himself. Distinction, Tony. Yeah, that's, that's good. good. Yeah. I think that's a good distinction. A good way to look at it. Absolutely. Right. But uh, but uh, what was your question now? Well, um, my question was but, if, you know, if uh, Barber and, and that sort of establishment side, the brand um, that mm-hmm. appears to be moving in that more progressive direction, if it prevails in Anaheim, do you see do you see an exodus of churches that are on the other side of the aisle? Is this the split? You know, everybody thought exodus. Well, everybody used to think that the SBC is going to split over Calvinism. Is it actually going to split over sexual abuse? Well, it's interesting that you're you're saying that because in our forum, uh, now this is maybe backtracking just a little bit, but in our forum, we're seeing that this issue of wokeness or this progressive issue is cutting across soteriological lines. Mm-hmm. 
um, there are conservatives, for example, in our form, uh, um, there are uh, traditionalists, you know, anti-Calvinist people that are saying, I'm, I'm a traditionalist, but I'm voting for Tom Askell. And just like last year, uh, you had Ed, uh, Ed Litton, who's an ostensible Calvinist. You had uh, Al Mohler, who is Calvinist. And yet I voted for Mike Stone, who is a non-Calvinist, because mm-hmm. I really felt that was the direction. And I'm seeing this now with the non-Calvinists, that they're seeing the wokeness as the biggest issue, and they're ready to vote for Tom Askell, even though they don't agree with him soteriologically. So I agree with you that it's it's really more the wokeness than it is the soteriology now. But uh, I don't know that we'll see a mass exodus. Um, I think you will see an exodus. And... But if they do something with regard to this report that will could establish, and Don and I've talked about this, an ascending liability so that the SBC being autonomous churches, but then something is put in place that creates an oversight that's such that the, even the possibility there is going after churches individually yeah. because the SBC, then I think the, the SBC would dissolve if that happens. Oh, goodness. Right. Yeah. Yeah. To, I, I don't I don't see a mass exodus over the election. Will some churches leave? Probably. But you got to understand, we've nearly 50,000 Southern Baptist churches, hundreds and hundreds of churches leave the convention every single year yeah. for all different sorts of reasons. Yeah. And hundreds join and are, are planted every single year. So there's a big variation every year anyway. I think the number of people that would leave because Bart Barber is, is president instead of Tom Askell would be a small number compared to the already ebb and flow of it all. And so I, I don't see that disrupting things completely. And, and that's one of the reasons why I want to stay in the convention is there's a, still a lot of money. Rod Martin makes this very good point, even though it sounds, you know, almost dirty because people don't like talking about money, but there's a lot of <laughs> money involved. Our institutions that, that we have built over the last 150 years, I don't want to turn those over to the liberals. And so that, that's why I don't leave. Now, with this Guidestone report, if things change as far as what Tony just said, ascending liability and our cooperative program money starts going out to lawyers defending sex abuse cases in churches all over the place. Yeah. That's when I'd be out. That's when I'd have to say I'm out. Um, I hope that doesn't happen. Um, cause I want to be Southern Baptist till I die. Okay. <laughs> but, uh, but if, but so if you're a brand happens, guy, uh, well, <laughs> I'm, kidding. <laughs> I'm well, kidding. I can cut that out, Don, if you want me to, yeah. I'm kidding. <laughs> well, let I, me, I, I, I do have, I do have deep roots in the convention, but I've always been, sort of on the fringe saying we have problems, you know, going back since I started in this game 30 years, something years ago. Um, But, but not big enough problems that we're just out because the the whole world has problems. We're all, I mean, we're sinful. It's a sinful world. There's sinful people in, in churches. And so that's kind of what you have to do. And, and to draw an extent distinction between Don and I, and I think if you wanted to say, what is the distinction? We, in terms of the issues, we almost totally agree. Right. I would say that he is a little more optimistic and I am a little more on the pessimistic side. And we're not, not a huge bit of difference between us. He is slightly more optimistic and I am slightly more pessimistic. 
And uh, but also there's some our backgrounds are a little different and this may play into it. Don is Southern Baptist born, Southern Baptist bred. One day he'll be Southern Baptist dead, you right. know, and uh, and I was raised Pentecostal. I got out of that in my 30s. I mean, I, even to my 30s, I was still Pentecostal. So I've already left a denomination. So it, it's not as big a deal to me. And I don't want to make light of it and say, oh, yeah, I'm ready to ditch the SBC. No, I'm not. But uh, I just want to say that, that yeah. I think some of our differences due to our come back to our backgrounds. I think that's that's always important. I mean, we all bring some weight of presuppositions and experience that we need to be aware of when we're trying to assess circumstances or things like this. So I think that's valid. Well, I addressed Wednesday night. I did address this issue before our church. I wanted to inform them. And the one of the question was asked me, should we leave? And, and my answer to them was that, you know, we need to, we need, you don't need to just take my opinion on the matter. You need to do research yourself. We need to have a well-informed church. And if we make such a decision, it needs to come out of the church being informed on the issues. And I said, I'll be happy to help you, you know, where you need to read and everything. I said, you know, this has been a long time Southern Baptist church. And I think we need to be very careful when, when you make a a change like this and we're leaving the SBC, that is an, that is a huge change based upon a church that's been over a hundred years, Southern Baptist. And so you don't want to make those decisions quickly Right. Yeah. And you don't want to make it because one man. And that's why I told them, I said, I, I'm willing to lead, but I, you all need to in, research yourself and be well informed on what's going on before we make any kind of decision like that. Yeah. You don't want a knee jerk reaction. You need to be very deliberate uh, no. about it. Well, Don had, because that was going to be my next question is anybody from your church asked you about this report and, and, what have they asked? Has that happened with you or have you addressed it with your congregation? Not this report yet because it's just this week, but um, there's, we have a, I have a few folks in our church that keep up with things, uh, Southern Baptists, and we talk about it a lot. Uh, and they are probably a little bit more pessimistic like Tony is. And so I have to pull in that <laughs> direction. Um, uh, and, and so we'll, we'll discuss it and talk about it. I, I do have a few folks in our church that would probably be fun to walk away from Southern Baptist Convention. And, and wouldn't bother them one bit. Yeah. Uh, but, and, and so I find myself kind of being almost an apologist for the convention at the same time, wanting to criticize all the negative things that we see. And so yeah. it's sort of a balance there, but yeah, I'll, I'll probably, probably tomorrow during our prayer request time, um, we have a, a prayer request time right before the pastoral prayer. And I will bring this issue up, probably not deal with it, you know, tremendously tomorrow, but just that we're aware of it. And it's a, a issue of concern. And we have been doing that over the last few weeks, looking forward to the convention. Uh, it's just one of those things that we've yeah. been praying about and for and in that direction. And so, uh, yeah, it, it's, it's a, it's an issue that our church is well aware of and in prayer about. Okay. And we are recording this on a Saturday. So my question is going to be, because I've got two pastors here, what are you preaching on the Lord's day? Tony's already given me a hint. He's preaching on the day of the Lord appropriately. Well, I'm, well, I'm continuing my exposition of the book of First uh, Thessalonians, and the passage is going to be First Thessalonians 5, 1 through 11, which is the day of the Lord. Mm-hmm. 
but also how that we are not caught, we are not taken unawares, which in a dispensational standpoint, people say, oh, that means we'll know the general time when it's going to happen. No, that's not what Paul means. To be caught unawares means to be lost and yeah. not be anticipating that judgment's coming. <laughs> right. Don, what, what are you on tomorrow? I, I'm preaching through Second Peter right now. And so I'm uh, tomorrow is Second Peter chapter two verse six, and so the title of the sermon is "False Teachers and the Sin of Sodom," uh, because mm. basically in that section Peter is saying, "Look, these false teachers aren't getting away with anything, and if uh, the angels that sinned in Genesis six didn't get away with what they did, if Noah's generation didn't get away with what they did, and if the Sodomites didn't get away with what they did." The false teachers aren't getting away with what they're doing. Uh, and, <laughs> and, I, and I decided, even though it's just a few verses, to take three uh, sermons on each one of those illustrations that Peter uses. So tomorrow we're going to talk about homosexuality and the sin of homosexuality. And as horrific as that is, and God sending fire and brimstone out of heaven, um, but Peter's saying, but the false teachers are going to get it worse. Yeah. Wow. Well, well I may have, have to... a question for Don. Yeah. Is, is he going to whisper? about yeah. <laughs> yeah, not so much <laughs> i didn't i didn't bring that up you know it was january 2019 when uh greer preached that that the bible only whispers about sexual sin but it screams right. about materialism and pride and all that well that was in january 2019 it was february 2019 when the houston chronicle report came out you know revealing all this sexual abuse I, we, we didn't go there but don exactly. here's what i will do i will try and pay attention to when you get to Second uh, Peter two twenty one, because I've kind of been fixated on that for a couple of weeks, which says, "For it would have been better for them never to have known the way of righteousness than after knowing it to turn back from the holy commandment delivered to them." Right there, you've got law and gospel. So I'm gonna I'm gonna listen to see if you get it right, like I would know. Sounds good. Well, gentlemen, thank you so much. Do you have any anything you want to close with? I won't edit it out unless Tony starts barking at you, Don. I, I may cut that out. No, <laughs> no. I think we, I think we no. covered a good thing. I think uh, I'd like to end on where we began to make sure that anybody that's listening understands, and we temper our every one of these discussions with nobody's in favor of sex abuse. We need to do everything we can uh, to um, uh, minimize that, mitigate that. And, and, and one of the big issues that the, that the Guidepost report is trying to do is keep offenders to move from church to church. And that's yeah. not just sex abuse. That, that happens for all, all sorts of things. Uh, you know, lazy, lazy youth ministers are, are, are pawned off from one church to the next. And uh, we need to figure out a better way to uh, communicate between church to church to, um, to, ma- to mitigate that as much as possible. Wonderful point. Well, and we also need, and to add to what Don said, we need to acknowledge that it does take place. Uh, we've all heard stories of maybe a youth minister or maybe a pastor who has, in some cases, we never know it, maybe a he said, she said, but there are times where people have imposed themselves and used their authority to or use their position to insinuate themselves and to abuse people. And sometimes they have gone from church to church. I have seen it, not in the Southern Baptist, well, I've heard about it in Southern Baptist, but in my previous church, had it happened in one of our churches, in the church I was in, yeah. it happened. And so 
we have to acknowledge that it has taken place. And we don't want to, just because we have issues with this report, minimize the fact that it has taken place. And in those cases where there is clear abuse of authority and, and abuse of a person, these people should not be passed on to another church or should not be, a, you know what I'm saying, yeah. allowed to just go on and do it again. Well, it'll be interesting. It is certainly a cause for prayer from any saint. I'm not in the SBC anymore, but I pray regularly for the SBC and for pastors, guys like you that I know that I, I, I pray for your number to increase, you know, because the word of the Lord will prevail, but you got to have somebody that knows the word of the Lord and will go say, thus saith the Lord. So I thank you both for, uh, for doing that and doing that faithfully. And uh, Tony, you and I will have another podcast coming up where you have become the expert on transhumanism because I really want to learn about this. So I'm looking forward to that. And Don, who was supposed to be my only guest today, but because of this coming up and you two guys having your connection, we've cut into Don's private time on the bud zone, <laughs> but you have to come back, sir. And, uh, we will, we will, uh, discuss other matters because I'm anxious to hear about the Lord's providence and grace in your life. So gentlemen, sounds good. Sounds good. Thank you both so much. I appreciate it. Thank you, bud. Thank you, bud. And that concludes this episode of The Bud Zone. The Bud Zone podcast is a member of the Christian podcast community where you can find scores of biblically sound podcasts for your edification and encouragement. Go to christianpodcastcommunity.org to discover more. You are now leaving The Bud Zone. Thank you for listening. God bless you. And just a reminder, no doctrines have been harmed during the recording of this show.